The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time, the Athletics dedicated Newcastle United podcast. Happy New Year to you all. Uh, I hope it's been a good one. And Happy New Year to you, George Coggan, and you, Chris Waugh. George, are you alright? Have you had a canny break? Uh, no. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> it's a good way to start. Yeah, no. For the second Christmas out of three, I was um I was in my sick bed, Taylor, so I've missed I missed all of Christmas in terms of opening presents and eating nice food. So I, I was a bit grumpy. I was about my Christmas was about as good as Newcastle United's. Well, some shit then, in other words. Absolutely yeah, shit. pretty shit. I did one nice thing before Christmas. I sat in on a lovely interview between Alan Shearer and Steve Harper. Oh yes, Steve Harper, who'd had his health scare in mm-hmm. September, but is now back at work at Newcastle's academy, and the two of them chatting about friendship and what had happened to Steve. Um, so did bits of that. Maybe we'll play some clips of that somewhere down the line but yeah great to see Steve uh back healthy again I just wish I wish just wish that I'd been absolutely yeah how about you Chris have you been all right how was the Woff family Christmas uh yes we're all right thank you James had a bit of illness over Christmas as well but he's much improved uh now so yeah it's, it's just been affecting everyone everyone's been a little bit under the weather I had to Same, yeah. pick up the with 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 George away then I had to to pick up the slack between Christmas and New Year and unfortunately I couldn't I couldn't Hold Newcastle United aloft. They obviously, they obviously fell off a cliff themselves. But how, how are you today? You sound, you'd still sound a bit under the weather. Yeah, I've had like a chest thing. I, th- I think you know, like them things off Alien that eventually come bursting out of your upper body. I think that's what I've got. Something like that, probably. But I'm, I'm going to go at the docks on Friday, and he'll give us some tablets for it, and it'll go away on its own. I'd imagine. That'll yeah, kill a so, little alien, will it? Yeah, definitely. So we're all a bit sickly. We are. We're a bit poorly sick, but um, you know. It's one of those, isn't it? This is the time of year for this, isn't it? I suppose it is. It's the cheeriness, season of yeah, we're all about cheeriness. The season of hacking your lungs up in a toilet somewhere, yeah. Uh, listener David Wright asked if we are thinking of this podcast as similar to a UK government emergency Cobra committee. Uh, this is definitely more of a stellar Artois meeting, uh, but we'll most likely have a curry afterwards, wouldn't we? Uh, that sounds about right. I mean, I would like to think that no matter how hapless and incompetent we get, and obviously we do get both of those things. Yeah, we could not be as incompetent and as hapless as the government. Possibly not. No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. surely. Excellent bit of politics. Good night. I also hope that Newcastle United would not actually call on us for our opinions on whatever issues were going on. Well, it is our job to sort of give our opinions. I mean, that's the job of this podcast. It doesn't mean they need to listen to them. It's yeah. literally what we've signed no, up true, for, yeah. Chris. <laughs> Absolutely. Right then, shall we crack on, chaps? Let's do it. Come on in. Come on, you Maggies. Eddie Howe's knackered mags have played three games since we last convened. A defeat at Liverpool was expected, to be honest, wasn't it? Even if the manner uh, of the defeat could be a bit alarming. The mood has been altered more, though, by the defeat at Luton and, most importantly, at home against Nottingham Forest. Uh, it all went to hell in a handcart, George, didn't it, over that, that couple of weeks? So when I sent Chris a message about 8 o'clock on Boxing Day saying, mm, sorry about this, bit short notice, but don't think I'm going to make it, 
What a great decision that was on my on my behalf. <laughs> Bit of blame. Um, I felt I did feel terrible. Then sitting, I, I was in my bed, but watching a bit of that on my tablet, it was like, oh no. The Luton game is one thing. The Liverpool game is another. But you know, we're just so used to seeing Newcastle be so strong at home, and and then to see that was a big shock. I think. Yeah. They're in a terrible run of form. There's no denying that, is there? There's no denying that um, they really are having a tough time of it. So, yeah, it was a good one to miss, I would say. Yeah, we had some old boys haunting us as well, didn't we? Yeah, uh, obviously Andros Townsend, uh, Luton and Chris Wood uh, for Forest. It pretty much rounded off a miserable December, Chris. We are now apparently officially the worst team in Boxing Day history. That's some stat, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really know that was a thing, but apparently it is a thing. Um, I mean... <laughs> Give give I imagine a lot of Newcastle fans probably upon hearing those stats probably thought oh yeah actually yeah very rarely is a very positive day on Boxing Day although in on Boxing Day 2022 Newcastle United did go second in the Premier League won three 0 at Leicester City and the and first player who scored that day Chris Wood from the penalty spot now that's correct seeing him at St James's Park this Boxing Day you maybe thought wow what a yeah, player Newcastle maybe we should go look for what him in January player. scoring yeah. treble the amount of goals that he did. For Newcastle United in twenty appearances at St James's Park as a Newcastle United player, yeah. um, in in a solitary game, and that only goal was against Wolves from the penalty spot. But the way that he finished the second one against against Martin Dubravko was very very unlike anything Newcastle fans saw from Chris Wood uh, in a Newcastle shirt, just flicking it over him and uh, and, and, yeah. and scoring. So yeah, that was that was a difficult day because I think that although the Luton defeat felt very very disappointing but given Newcastle's away form I don't think that was entirely unexpected going into Boxing Day what was the one thing that Newcastle really had to still fall back on having gone out of the Champions League having been knocked out in those circumstances in the Carabao Cup it was the home form that they were almost imperious at home bar the final 20 minutes against Liverpool early in the season that they had a 100% record beyond that they actually take the lead against Nottingham Forest have the opportunity maybe to go 2-0 up Miguel Almiron's in the box decision making and then Newcastle just don't defend the entire situation concede right on the, the stroke of half time and that second half against Nottingham Forest was very very poor and it was the manner I think of, of, of the way Newcastle collapsed because they hadn't fallen behind it, at yeah. home since the Liverpool game but the way they collapsed and then couldn't get back into it that was I think the very disappointing thing. It felt like that a bit didn't it George that Forest game the, the, the Chris is saying the manner of it and I think a lot of fans who I've spoken to were more bothered about the manner of the defeat than the actual defeat. I think it was the way that Newcastle went about it. And they did just fold in on themselves, didn't they? I mean, that is one of the concerns, is that they've they've become a bit of a soft touch. And that's a pretty startling thing to say when you think about how good they were defensively last season, when you think about sort of at their best, how aggressive they are and how much on the front foot. But they've got an absolutely terrible record when they go a goal behind. And they've got an absolutely terrible record away from home there's no you know there's no denying both of those things and it always felt to me like they're they're piling pressure on themselves at home because that was what was keeping the season afloat and um yeah I mean it's 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 kind of quite remarkable that the things that we were praising them for a year ago resilience defiance bouncing back all of those things have have kind of gone out of the window, but yeah. it has to be it has to be arrested, and it has to be arrested really soon. Somebody said to me on Monday night, "We've we've not been the same since we stopped uh, stopped as much shit housing as we used to do." And we, it, it, it seems like we're not being canny in these games anymore. We're not, you know, we're not being as aggressive. Yeah, do, I mean, if you're talking about AC Milan, for example, at home, you're talking about Newcastle not being able to see games out, and 
um, you know, when it really mattered, or even Chelsea in the in the League Cup that I was there for, when they did, you know, they defended very well for a long period of time, but then made that terrible error. We were, we were, we were praising them for doing whatever it took to see games out. Now I don't know whether that's just a byproduct of. Um, you know the situations they find themselves in. I don't want to use this sort of tiredness as, as an excuse, but they, it feels like they're getting to the end of end of matches. And whereas in the past they would be able to bring on fresh players and that would give them fresh urgency, fresh impetus, and maybe that sort of extra bit of concentration. They're now allowing that sort of focus to to fade a bit, and they're making big mistakes. But it's a complete. It is a complete sea change. Uh, and Liverpool, uh, as we said, Monday night, they made merry, didn't they? Uh, a monumental XG figure. But was it ever so slightly misleading, Chris? Newcastle were improved in some areas, weren't they? They were improved in some areas, but I think it's difficult to argue that the highest ever expected goals for a side of 7.27 as it was that Liverpool had. So basically what that means is the quality of the chances that Liverpool had were of a value where they'd be expected more often than not to score 7.27 goals across the course of a match. Obviously, they score four. The, the previously highest score was was 5.87, which both Man City got against Watford in 2019 and Liverpool got against Leeds last season, or two seasons ago, I think. What were the scores in those games? Uh, Man City scored eight against Watford and Liverpool scored six against Leeds. I don't know what the final scores were, actually, but they were the actual number of goals that they scored. So... They scored more than Liverpool managed to against Newcastle on, on this occasion. And you take out the two penalties, which account for a, a significant value of it. Even if you discount those, they're still within the top three or four ever XG scored again. And, and I think the problem was that Newcastle were improved in some areas in terms of they offered an attacking threat. Alexander Isak took his goal very well. Botman obviously scores from from the, the, the set piece. There were other openings that Newcastle had. They had the burn goal disallowed for offside. There'd been other moments. But... Every time Liverpool went forward, it seemed like they were going to get an opportunity. And Martin Dubravka made some wonderful saves. He also made some quite unorthodox saves, which I don't think were necessarily fully convincing. But you, you can't have a go to goalkeeper yeah. who makes that volume of saves yeah. and was undoubtedly Newcastle's man of the match. But it's not. It, it was also the fact that it's not just this Liverpool game. It's like a trend which has been going on. So since the start of November, no side has a higher number of expected goals conceded across all those matches. They've gone above Spurs in that point now. Now I know a lot of people will come back to me and stats and say these are goals conceded, but Newcastle have still conceded eighteen goals during that time. They have conceded that they've conceded significantly more this season than they had at this at this period last year. That's despite having the joint highest number of clean sheets in the Premier League. But beyond that they are they are just conceding goals and look like a soft touch. When they concede once they tend to concede several and that is that is what's a real concern. And so Eddie Howe came afterwards. I asked him specifically about the XG stat. He sort of came back and said, I didn't actually think we were that open. Now, he's saying that in the immediate aftermath of the match. But having sat there at, at Anfield and watched it, I, I, I don't think he could necessarily argue that. Now, before before the game itself, I was speaking to a few, a few people inside Newcastle. And, and I'd said to one of them, I said, I'll be honest with you, I'm not looking forward to going to Anfield on a New Year's Day. It's not, it's not my idea of how I would like to spend New Year's Day going there for an 8pm kickoff. And I... I realise I'm privileged there going there. I get the opportunity to go, go there for my job, but it's 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 the trip which I hate doing because it's it's a game where you feel it's a wasted trip because the same happens every year for Newcastle. But even that, that even though the even given that the manner at which Liverpool, particularly for the Jota penalty, now we can get into the ins and outs of the Jota penalty should have been. I don't think it should have been, but if you take yourself away from the spot kit situation and look one ball goes through the entire Newcastle defence, which at yeah. that stage is a back five, and Liverpool are away in the gaping holes. Now, I know Newcastle are trying to go to, to attack and get back into the game, but that is sort of 
that was sort of emblematic of the issues Newcastle have had and are increasing, increasingly having, and seemingly the answers haven't been found yet. That's why I think there's a lot of concern at the moment. They've conceded three goals or more four times in the last six games in the Premier League. I mean, that really just yeah. speaks for itself, doesn't it? I feel like I've been watching the same game of football for the last two months. I, f- I just feel like... I, I might be a simplistic way of looking at it, but every game feels... has the same sort of feeling about it. And, um, uh, you know, it it just... it You can tell that they're running on empty. And, 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 you know, we've talked about the injuries and stuff and the fitness for a long time. But something needs to change. Something definitely needs to change. There may be a bit of pressure on Eddie Howe. There may not be. We're not sure. But we can largely sort of dismiss the paper talk. Uh, there's a very small minority of fans who are starting to turn. Uh, but what's the mood inside the club, George? What what What's the sort of feeling? The first thing you have to say is that there is pressure on Eddie Howe, but there's also pressure on Dan Ashworth. There's pressure on Amanda Staveley. There's pressure on everyone. They've put pressure on themselves. I mean, they've done that with the timescale they've set out to be challenging for everything and you know they all embrace that and they all welcome that in terms of relationships inside the club they're incredibly strong I mean you know perhaps this wouldn't mean uh, very much if things if things you know carry on the way they are but they're friends you know they're not just kind of very close colleagues they're friends they're very very tight they're very close they've got these very very um, strong uh, working and also pers- personal relationships, they're mm-hmm. all in it together. And everything that I've been told about the people who, who, who run the club on a you know on a daily basis is that they're doing whatever they can. They want to do whatever they can to help the head coach, to help the players. They understand the context. They understand that they're ahead of schedule and that they've been incredibly stretched by injury, suspension to Sandro Tonali, and all the rest of it. And they're just trying to find a way through it. And that message is consistent. It's very strong. Um, You know, the thing that we've always said as a sort of caveat is that does that mean there couldn't be a kind of brain fart from Riyadh and things change and someone says this isn't good enough and so we need to bring in Pep Guardiola as manager or, you know, whatever. No, we can't, you know, we can't completely dismiss that because the club hasn't been tested by real adversity since the takeover happened or since they got out of the relegation zone. So you have to do that. Now, when you talk to Newcastle about that, they come back to the word that they use right at the start. If we go back a couple of years, they all talked about alignment and they said, no, everybody is aligned. There's no division between what we think here to what the public investment fund in Saudi think too. And that is definitely the message that they're giving, that there's no, you know, there's... You know, there's there's no sort of um, uneasiness with how they love him. They want him to succeed. But to to then also repeat what you said, Taylor, they do have to start winning matches. So Howe has been absolutely brilliant. I'll repeat the thing that I've said podcast after podcast. He's the best thing that's happened to Newcastle for a very long time. So fingers crossed he gets to turn it around. I'm sure he will. Absolutely. Um, Chris, there's a, a tweet here from someone called Malcolm McDonald. I'm presuming that's not his real name. Uh, it came through on Twitter. Uh, I don't get the panic. We're ninth with a squad currently who'd be ninth under normal circumstances. Uh, there's been very little normalcy about this season. Why do people believe we aren't allowed to lose games? No, I, I understand that. I do. I, it, it's very hard to, it, when you're within the sort of eye of the storm, it's very hard to, to plead uh perspective and to try and look at those that sort of situation and, and I mean the, the issue Newcastle have last season was an overperformance not in terms of that Newcastle didn't deserve to be where they were they very much deserved to be where they were on, on in terms of what they did but 
w- there was a recognition this season was always going to be difficult. Now that the it it it's all come almost at once. That until the start of December, you look back a few weeks ago and we were talking about that Manchester United victory and how wonderful that was for Newcastle and the form they were in then. It's it's everything has come in such quick succession because Newcastle have had so many games and because there's been they've gone out of the Champions League followed quickly by going out of the the Carabao Cup in the circumstances that they did and then it's been the manner of some of those defeats and it feels like everything's catching up on one another they managed to despite having this injury crisis throughout most of November and the, and the start of December they managed to still find a way to win a lot of matches but that that is that has all come to a head fatigue has set in uh the relationships within the team have become fractured. And I don't mean that in terms of negatively them them warring with each other. What I mean is in terms of on the pitch, the, the understanding isn't quite there as it was before. And what was one of the key reasons why Newcastle were much improved during the first 18 months of Eddie Howe's time here is because of the time that he had on the training ground. Now, they haven't had that. Yes. They now are going to have that from this period on. And they, there needs to be an improvement in that regard. You need to be able to see the defence improve. You need to be able to see... Those attacking relationships improve again. Newcastle have maybe become a little bit predictable, aren't scoring enough goals, or at least they aren't getting enough con- players contributing enough goals. I agree with Malcolm McDonald to a certain extent, Super Mac, whoever it may be who has messaged in there. <laughs> um, but I, I, I also think that you have to recognise the situation Newcastle find themselves in. I also think it's, it's the fear of what's to come, not only this weekend, but also for the rest of this month, and the idea that maybe things aren't necessarily going to get better. Newcastle are already ninth, but they're closer to 16th than they are to fourth place in the Premier League. And I think that's part of the concern. It's, it's so much context within there, and it, it, it's hard to take a step back and look at it and see the, the sort of positive wider picture because when you're in the very, very meat of it, as Newcastle are now, it, it does feel quite negative. It does look quite bleak. Yeah, I would take issue with the word panic. I don't think there's any panic from what I from what I've seen. I mean, obviously, you know, if you look at social media, then um, the world is always in flames. I mean, that's everything's the, on fire. Yeah, yeah, of Everything. course. That's just that's just the way it is. And then during matches, you know, during matches, it's the same as being in a match, and someone makes a mistake, and you scream at the pitch, but. You know, when the final whistle comes, you all you all cheer and applaud the team. I mean, you know, so you see that on you see that on uh, social media and stuff. But you know, Newcastle have lost seven out of their last eight matches in all competitions. If you take the Chelsea game as a defeat, which it was, so Steve Bruce would have called it a draw. But yeah, Steve. Well, Steve Bruce would have been happy with a clean sheet. Yeah, um, it wasn't a clean but, sheet. Though. No, I'm, okay, fine. I'm, but the Burnley game, he, he talked about that, and you know that's the difference. That's you know that is the context for for the unhappiness. Now we were talking then about a club where the manager was, yeah, was was uh, was was praising his team for keeping a clean sheet in a match that they'd gone out of a competition in, <laughs> yeah. and now we're expecting that team or w- wanting that team to to win trophies, to challenge for trophies, and. Um, they've set their own standards and those standards are very, very high. They know themselves they're not meeting that standards. We Those standards, we know that there's a huge amount of, uh, you know, if not excuses, then reasons for why they found it tough. But it's e- equally, it's not been good enough. I mean, so you, I think we have to be allowed to say both of those things. It's yeah. like, I feel bad for them. They've given everything. They're a brilliant team. They're a great squad, but they've been stretched to bits. And then ultimately... They've lost confidence, they've lost form, and they're not playing like we know they can play. And that's, you know, that isn't good enough. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. A big chunk of fans, Chris, they're asking the club, Hi Rocky, to back Eddie Howe in the transfer market, aren't they? What sort of role does Eddie Howe have in the recruitment process? Uh, and to what extent can we bring players in with current limitations? Well, Eddie Howe has the final say on all transfers. No players are signed without Eddie Howe wanting them to be. So all of the signings who have come in post-takeover, obviously Eddie Howe was appointed in the November of 2021. All the windows since he he has brought in all of those players. Now, by having the final say, that doesn't necessarily mean that every single one of those players was his very first choice at that moment. As we know, in the, in the January 2022 window, Sven Botman was the first choice centre-back. They eventually signed him the following summer, but Dan Byrne came in as the next time. But again, Eddie Howe wanted him. He was his choice. But you also have Dan Ashworth, who is the sporting director. He ratifies deals. He finalises them and concludes them. But you have Steve Nixon, who's the head of recruitment, and Andy Howe, who I think is the head of technical scouting or something, is his exact position. And they basically identify players. They speak to agents as well. But basically, in the end, finally, it comes down to the players who Eddie Howe wants, but that's on the basis of the budget that he has and the players that are available. Now, going into this January, can you feel people rolling their eyes? I, I can feel people rolling their eyes if you can do that, just just, just listening to this next bit I'm about to say. But financial fair play, or the Premier League's profit and sustainability uh, rules, as, as they are called uh, officially, are an issue for Newcastle. They are very close to the limit on that front, and that is going to restrict what they can do this month. That doesn't mean they won't do anything, and Eddie Howe is certainly pushing behind the scenes to try and do something, but it looks increasingly like it will be loans, be they straight loans, be they loans with options or loans with obligations. They only actually have one further domestic loan unless they turn yeah. Lewis Hall's deal into a permanent deal in before the end of the season as things stand that that only becomes a permanent deal this summer so for now they would only have one domestic deal one one of which they would like and who player they have a lot of interest in is Manchester City's Calvin Phillips midfielder to come in they've, they've liked him long term he isn't getting the game time there obviously England international highly rated albeit he hasn't played much football at all at Manchester City but that is a difficult deal to do at the moment it isn't close in the sense that Newcastle are going to be able to announce that next few days and it, it is looking like it's going to be later in the window before Newcastle can do anything in that regard because that tends to be when loans happen as well yeah you tend to think though don't you with these like it, it, if Manchester City get a couple of injuries they're not going to want to release uh, Calvin Phillips on loan are they say if Rodri got an injury or somebody like that suddenly their whole window has to change you know they're not going to want to get rid of a player no, I mean that's you know Newcastle aren't in the position of strength in that sense. If you're relying on other teams for for loans, and you know perhaps perhaps it's in you know Manchester City's interest to to wait and see what's what. I mean the mood music that's coming from City is that they're 
sympathetic to Calvin Phillips's position and you know would would look to help him if the right move came along but you're right it's not Newcastle's position where they can dominate or you know or force something to happen they're well they'll do what's best for Manchester City well, won't they exactly they're, they'll they're effectively relying on the goodwill of another uh, of another club and also Chris as well we've got Sir Jim Radcliffe now who's in charge of football operations at Manchester United and the rumours of a move for Dan Ashworth they've stepped up a, a few notches as well haven't they does that have any kind of impact on Newcastle's January business could it could it put complications in the way well in the very short term it shouldn't I mean the Sir Jim Radcliffe investment into Manchester United is in theory going to be going through but the suggestion is it could take another four weeks or so so that basically takes out the whole of January and the likelihood is they're not going to make any key moves for personnel such as a position for sporting director until after then so Dan Ashworth is almost certainly going to be in position throughout the rest of January beyond that we wait and see I mean Newcastle would want significant compensation from we would likely have a period of garden leave as well and that's even if any awesome Manchester United do actually make an approach now, at the minute, there's been no official approach to Newcastle. There hasn't been an approach to Dan Ashworth officially either. It's very much in a situation where, at the moment, he is Newcastle's sporting director and he is conducting Newcastle's business. He is he is still fully focused on that role. I know some supporters are a bit perturbed by the fact that he hasn't come out and, and sort of distanced himself. I suppose his counter-argument to that would be there has been no approach. Why? How can I come out and and, and deny something that isn't there? But it, it just adds... I suppose what it does do is it adds to, to the uncertainty around the the situation at Newcastle at the minute, given the, the the issues on the field right now, and given the fact that they would ideally supporters believe, and Eddie Howe himself seemingly believes that they need to do business this month, and for the that it be at least a question mark over the sporting director's long term future is not ideal. But I don't see it affecting business actually this month. No, that that would be just the thing that I would say is that in terms of uh, mood music, it's not it's not ideal at a time when you know the team's results have been have been difficult and there's all the sort of uncertainty around the club in that sense what you want is that feeling of you know serenity and all the rest of it now is Ashworth's position being talked about by people inside the club yeah it definitely is we know that for a fact so you know you could kind of do without that um you know, I agree with Chris. I don't think it's, you know, having an impact in terms of what they're doing on a day-to-day basis in terms of uh, of Ashworth's job, which is, you know, let's not forget, it's very wide-ranging. It's not just about transfers. He's he's overseeing all football departments at the moment and is, you know, heavily engaged in that and is still doing all that. But, um, you know, at a time when Newcastle could do with a sense of calm, there is that sort of little frisson of uncertainty surrounding his position, which isn't helpful I would say. Uh, and Chris what about the injury situation at the moment Eddie Howe says Wilson and Trippier potentially miss Sunderland and Man City uh, that, that's especially concerning with regards to Callum Wilson isn't it do, do you think we need another option up top? Well he, he's ruled Wilson out of the next two games which and this is not me to be too flippant about it but that, that tends to mean when Callum Wilson's out he tends to be out for longer than the C is going to be so I yeah. think they seeing him again in January would be a positive if he is back this month. Trippier Howe has said there is a chance he could be back for Sunderland so he's not definitely ruled out but still they're, they're still as as it always seems to be the case with Eddie Howe injury updates Newcastle are waiting to assess exa- oh, finding the assessment of it oh, that was that was what he said after could the mean anything, game, couldn't it? exactly but in terms of the, the third option up top I do think Newcastle could do with another attacker they may, by the end of January, have the likes of Harvey Barnes coming back and, and and that would give them more options. But at the minute, just across the front line in general, they seem light. They seem light in terms of goals. Anthony Gordon looks shattered. Miguel Almiron looks, looks devoid of confidence in many ways. 
Uh, Alexander Isak is scoring goals. Still doesn't look fully fit, I don't think, but he still really is impacting the, with the effect he's had. You can see what a class act he is. But I think ideally, yes, Newcastle would get an, an, another attacking player in, be that a, an out-and-out forward, I think it would be more likely to be an option across the front. But if they don't have much money, which seemingly they don't, or aren't able to spend much money, which seemingly that they, they, they may not be able to, then that may be difficult for them to do. Can they bring forward some spending they were doing in the summer if there's a player available like there was last year with Anthony Gordon and, and, and sort of bring forward a long-term signing I, I at this stage it, it seems unclear as to whether they can do that it's going to be a very difficult position to strengthen but yes I think they could do with some increased firepower I think long term absolutely 100% it's a position that they have to strengthen when I say long term I mean in the summer it's easier said than done because it's the position everybody wants to strengthen strikers are the, are the players who cost money but you know it's something that Alan Shearer Alan from work has been saying consistently he would have done it he would have done it last summer because of the injury record of the two players and he's he's proved spot on sadly um i think you know i think wilson would be a big miss in particular for the sunderland game because i think that's exactly the kind of game you'd want want to play him in um where there's that sort of physical almost certainly going to be that sort of physicality needed you know just when he seems to kind of get back get his match fitness back he's then out again it's just it's frustrating and it's not yeah. you know they don't have enough options there i think that's it i think the thinking was that if both players could prove their fitness, that they would leave themselves with problems in terms of fitting people into the team. And if they brought another forward in, another striker in, that would be that would be difficult. But they're just not reliable enough. And, you know, I say that as someone who's got incredible fondness for both players. I think they've been and are really, really good. But there just isn't that robustness that you need to get through a season in which there's been extra matches, of course. So it has to be something that they look for the summer, if not now. And I think the problem with looking now is that it's the most difficult position to fill at the best of times, and January is not the best of times, particularly if you've got no money. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, so, oh, do that again. Fucking hell, and yours, I'm going to pronounce that right. Uh, so good. <laughs> is this a name on several lips, Taylor? It might be the name on several lips, It's not yeah. on yours, is it? Seru Gurassi, is that right, Chris? I don't know how exactly how you pronounce it, but the Stuttgart forward, yes, uh, he has been linked consistently with Newcastle. I know he's a player they've looked at, but whether whether he is someone they are aiming to sign this month or believe that they can sign this month at this stage, I'll be honest, I, I'm unsure. It's something I've asked about and I haven't had sort of conclusive uh, response on it. But that's partly because Newcastle haven't still determined what they're going to do this month because partly due to the injury situation and also partly due to the financial situation as to what can they actually do, what will they do. And going out of the Carabao Cup, although that was a negative, I think it also meant that Newcastle don't have the volume of fixtures this month as they have in previous months. And although you would ideally like players in early this month, you ha- you can actually give yourself a little bit longer to work out rather than sign someone the first week of the window just because you think you have to sign someone, maybe wait a week or two see who's available and get it later in the month. That's not going to be any positive for supporters out there who want to see players sign. I accept that, but that seems to be the situation they're in right now. We've got a a tweet here as well from Pastor Eric Brown, long-time listener. Uh, Which injury slash suspension has hurt us the most? And also he said, why were we healthier when Woff was on leave? I'm sure those two things I can answer. It's the Chris Woff, the Woff curse. Is that is that what it is? I mean, things have turned to shit. Woff effect. I mean, things have turned to shit since Chris has come back. Let's yeah. be honest. You know, with Jacob in, in position, Newcastle qualified for the Champions League. They did. Um, Always and, like that, lad. And then Chris Chris comes back and they crash out of it. And now he's just spreading 
misery, which I used to think was my sort of domain, he's spreading it like a muck spreader. Spreads muck. A misery spreader. <laughs> a misery spreader. <laughs> yeah. On, the, on uh, that front... Had- Oh no! I was going to, I was going to respond to the actual question and say, okay, all right. in in my in my opinion, and I think this is the opinion of at least some people inside Newcastle as well. Although I've praised him, and although I do think he deserves praise, and I'm jumping forward one in in our own running order, I do think actually goalkeeper has been a big issue. Now that the, 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 there were problems already beforehand, but Nick Pope's injury, I think, has significantly changed the way Newcastle play and I do think part of their defensive issues not all of them but at least part of the defensive issues arise from the different style of goalkeeper Martin Dubravka is, is a good shot stopper as we've seen he's, he's good on his line but Nick Pope is that sweeper keeper type he comes off his line that allows Newcastle to have the higher defensive line that they've had and it means that he can cover in behind. At the minute, there doesn't seem to be that connect between the back four and Martin Dubravka. There seems to be a big gap. Certainly you saw it against Nottingham Forest, you saw it at times against Liverpool as well. As as brilliant as Dubravka was shot-stopping-wise, I just think it's 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 it, it that has is, is, is created problems and, and there isn't that relationship that there was with the settled back four and goalkeeper as there was for the majority of last season with Dubravka in the defence now. That's not to to detect denigrate what Dubravka brings I just think it's fundamentally shifted the way Newcastle play I totally agree with all of that and I think that's um as a point that's fine I mean but in terms of injuries and suspension who's been missed most well I, I think I would take a step even further back than that because one thing that we've not talked about in recent weeks but we did talk about at the start of the season is that the players that Newcastle brought in over the summer have not been in the team. I mean, so we've seen bits of Liveramento recently and he looks outstanding, but Lewis Hall has barely figured. Harvey Barnes has been injured for a long time and, of course, Tonali has been injured. Suspended. Sorry, uh, suspended. So not only have Newcastle sort of been dealing with this huge injury list, but before then, they were still taking on other teams who've, who've strengthened their first teams this season and Newcastle were more or less relying on their team from last season, which... You know, albeit was very good, the danger is you get found out a bit, people work out the way you play. And so I think my argument would actually be would actually be Tonali, because I think by this point, you know, he would be up to speed with the way Eddie Howe wants to play. There'd be that option in midfield. And I think one of the huge problems that Newcastle have found in recent weeks is not just that the de- kind of defending seems to have gone to pot, but the protection for the defence has just gone. Yeah. It's disappeared. So Again, I think I would love to see what Newcastle were able to do with that idea of one of Bruno or Tonali sitting back, the other moving forward, offering a bit of protection around the team. I would, I would say that. I don't know whether that's the right answer or not, but just to be just to be slightly different, I think you know. I think the fact that Newcastle have not been able to draw upon the players that they signed in the summer, barring here or there, has has been massive. I've made the point argument for goalkeeper. I, I accept everything you've said there. I think a lot of injuries have been damaging. Now on the point about about midfield and and the lack of, of, of a number six signing in the summer and, and Harry Howe coming out and suggesting he doesn't necessarily want a number six this month, although the interest in Calvin Phillips would maybe suggest that actually they do want a play in that position. Part of the logic behind si- signing Sandro Tonali was that he would primarily be a number eight, would, would provide some legs in midfield, but then if Bruno Gimaraes was unavailable, he would drop deeper into that role. Bruno himself has come out and said that he would, he would like to play as a number eight, but the, the logic... F- from Newcastle is that he hasn't actually played there that much throughout his career and when he has tended to play there he tends to drop deeper anyway because anyway, he wants the ball and so 
if you bring in a number six to be the deep line midfielder, and if you keep playing the same system, you, you fundamentally shift what Bruno is going to bring to the side. Now, maybe Newcastle need to do that. Maybe they need to shift to, I'm going to use my favourite term, a double pivot. Maybe they need to move to something like that and change the shape of the side. But that at least was the logic in the summer. And because we haven't seen Sandro Tonali since the start of October, we don't know whether that would have worked in practice. At the, at the moment, that theory hasn't been tested. Lewis Miley has come in and has done very, very well, but he also has, has had to play a heck of a lot of games in a short space of time, yeah. play at a level which obviously he'd never been at before. And so criticism of him, I think, is, if, there is, if there has been any, I don't think there has been much, but if there has been some, I think it's extremely premature because for him to have played as he has at this level he's now... He's been fabulous. It's been, yeah, he's been fabulous, I agree. Yeah, he really has. Uh, right then, shall we move on, chaps? Yes, Yes, let's. Uh, before we do that, get yourselves over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and pay just one ninety nine a month for your first 12 months with The Athletic. Uh, not just George, uh, Chris and the Everton lad, uh, Liam Tharm has been digging into Newcastle's tactics for those of you who like that sort of thing as well. Get yourselves over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod right now. Well, not right now. Obviously, you want to listen to the rest of this first and then. Yeah, that makes sense. Go. You can pause podcast, but yeah, okay. No, that's silly. Don't pause. That's stupid. An absolutely massive game coming up this weekend, isn't it? And not just because we're on a terrible run of form. Not just because we haven't beaten our local rivals in, what, like 500 attempts or something. Uh, The most recent victory back in the distant mists of 2011. But also because this competition represents our last realistic chance of silverware for another season, doesn't it, George? Well, at the moment, it's just like it's the last realistic chance of winning any game of football ever. That's how it sort of feels. Um, and no, it is it's it is massive. I mean, Newcastle need to win a match and this fixture is just a tone setter. It always has been, you know, for both clubs. Usually it's bad reasons for one of them and they've been, you know, they kind of fight it out in a race to the bottom. And this time they're separated by a division you know, there's a huge gulf between the teams theoretically, but you know, Newcastle just know they can't afford to lose this game. You know, and yeah, we've been thinking about this a lot this week, Chris and I, because we've we've been writing about it. But it it does have the capacity to absolutely shape what happens next. You know, when they get a breathing space, it's like okay, calm down. We've got a tough run of fixtures to come. We know that, but things are going to be okay if they lose all hell breaks loose because that's what happens if you lose a derby. I mean, it just it just yeah. does. So it's uh, we've had a feeling of dread around the Newcastle team not too long ago, two years ago, three years ago. You had that feeling of dread every time you went into the stadium. <laughs> but but not the kind of yeah. dread that you get from the derby, which is when it sort of hangs over everything and it's all everybody can talk about. And so it's a sort of reminder of dread and it's also a reminder of how things can turn to to shit if the worst if the worst happens. So it's a massive game, massive game. It's pretty fair to say, Chris, this is a, a bit of a season-defining fixture, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, it, I've 
said this before, and I, and, I, and I still maintain that as difficult as all of Newcastle's cup draws have been this season, I think this is the worst of them. I just think that in terms of it, it didn't look great at the time when they had it, given the volume of fixtures they had and, and the injuries they had, but in the subsequent weeks since the draw's been made and the way that the season has gone... I just think it just heaps more and more pressure on Newcastle. Didn't it's, need a, it. it's a no-win fixture for them. Really. Unless they absolutely hammer Sunderland, I don't think it's... They, 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 they expected to win, and they expected to win comfortably. So anything less than that is is seen as a negative. And, and I do think, given what's happened over the course of the last few weeks, given the need for an injection of positivity, regardless of, of it being a derby, Newcastle have gone out... In the FA Cup third round, in, that's the one. That's the one thing that that, that Eddie Howe hasn't been able to sort out yet. They, they had the Cambridge game in the first year, which fair enough. The focus was on avoiding relegation. That was Kieran Trippier's first match, and I remember him looking round and he, and he was saying that the, the, this stadium is full. And, and 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 Newcastle went out to League One opposition. Then they then went out to, right. to League One opposition last season at Sheffield Wednesday, a much changed side, but a terrible performance. He doesn't have the current lofty position in the Premier League to be able to, to look on or, or Newcastle haven't made the last 16 of the Champions League or even be in the Europa League still now or be in the semi-final of the Carabao Cup all the focus is on this match and if they go out of this the only thing they have is the league and they've got Man City and then Aston Villa away to come so I think that there's just so much pressure on the game it's it's a game I don't think that they're needed but but they have and those that there, I know there's people inside Newcastle who are talking about they, they realise the importance of it. It's not just the fact that they think Newcastle have to win. They, they are talking about that they need to perform well. My argument would be, I mean, they, they, it's, it's unthinkable that they don't win. Obviously, they would let, it would be great if they win in style, but that is that is the focus. I, don't, I think that it's just unthinkable that they don't win. They have to find any way, shape or form to get a victory, hopefully in comfortable style, but there's no guarantees, not based on form not, and also the fact that it's a derby, Newcastle away from home. There's no reason why Newcastle, other than the fact that obviously they are a division higher than Sunderland have a, have a significantly better assembled squad and really better players, but on current form and given the context of a derby, that is a bit of a leveller, if not quite the leveller it has been in previous derbies. I don't care. If we if we win, I don't genuinely don't care how we win that game. If the ball goes in, one nil in off the end of Dan Burns cock, I couldn't care less. That's that that's it. I don't care. Don't care. As long as we win. Not interested I mean, in how I, it happens. I, I want to before we go any further, I I do want to say I love these matches and I'm really looking forward to it. I mean I know that 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 would put me at odds with a lot of people, but I mean, I feel sick now that we've started talking about it because I think that goes. With, I just think that goes with <laughs> see, it. Yeah, see. but I think that goes with it. You know, it's that vital. It's that feeling of vital. You know, that vital feeling. We've got to win. We've got to win. It's like how much do we, you know, get to have that emotion where it's so important to us. I mean, I love it and. Yeah, I mean, my my dream would be for Newcastle and Sunderland to actually be tr- challenging. In a way that Man United and Man City have done over the over years, I would love that. I would love, I would love the Northeast Ooh, to be at the pinnacle. Pathetic, I know, George. I know. It makes me a weird. Oh, I'm George Colgan. I like all the. No, football. no, but I, I just hope everybody does. Yeah, well. but I don't I, be soft, man. Come that on. is how it, that's nonsense. That, well, okay, all right. So I want to bury them into the ground. Right. I want us to destroy okay. them. I couldn't. Well, not well, that's fine. That's fine because actually that leads us <laughs> nicely into sort of the next bit, which is something that that Chris and I have done this week. And fearing that you might come up with something like that, we actually got the better-looking, funnier one from the erstwhile comedy duo, which was uh, Taylor and Bestie podcast host. We got we got the better one. Oh, has he raised his head? Stephen Best, yeah, to um, to meet us 
in a in a Tyneside hostelry, the Bridge Tavern on the Quayside, along with Chris Weatherspoon from uh, Wise Men Say podcast, who's also uh, an author who's written a, a, an excellent book about the Yellow Short Years at at Sunderland, uh, plus Phil Buckingham, who is an athletic writer but was a boyhood Sunderland fan. And we got together to chat about the match and uh, find out how our respective fan bases were feeling. Excellent. Uh, well, it's well documented, isn't it, how we all feel about this game. Uh, but what was the red and white response? Here's how Sunderland fan Chris Weatherspoon reacted when the draw was made. I was taking my daughter to a swimming lesson, and when I came out and looked at my phone, I thought somebody was taking a piss. And then I was like, oh, okay. And my initial reaction was like dread, because I think, truthfully, I think really what happened in Newcastle a little over two years ago has really fundamentally changed what this is now. Like, there is obviously, there's still a local rivalry, it's still a derby, but I think in terms of a competitive rivalry, I, I don't think we're even in the same ballpark, really. I know we're like one division apart, but really like, I think if football wasn't a low scoring sport, if this was like rugby or tennis where there's enough points scored that it kind of irons itself out, I don't even think we'd be having this discussion. Because I think... It's just mind games, this. No, it's not. I'm starting to feel more confident. (laughs) Honestly, it it really isn't. Because like, by rights, and I'm not, it isn't just mind game. By rights, like we should not have a chance on Saturday. We shouldn't. If you look at someone's back four, for example, the players who's been playing the last few weeks, a kid from Northern Ireland signed for like 50 grand or something. Luke O'Neill, who was a. Who was know, a League Two player before yeah, we signed him, yeah. Released by Wickham and Watford, all these different clubs. I mean, Dan Ballard's a steady player. Yeah, he's good. I mean, don't get, don't get me wrong, like, I, I like a lot about what the team that we've got, but I just think, like, if you look at the Gulf, it's easy to, like, get romantic about it towards the Derby and it's a level playing field. I, I really don't think it is. Like, I mean, we've got, on our side, we've got a club who doesn't stuff the ticket office and can't stop the club shop I think I think it fundamentally changed the rivalry because it's kind of um, look I, I actually agree with what you said before about um, Newcastle generally being the better side in those six games that we won which probably what made it so nice for us and, but at least there was some kind of semblance of parity yeah, yeah. Um, if you add up the last four years of someone's wage really you don't get to one year of Newcastle United and that's only increased so I know it's a one-off game so anything can happen so I'm not saying we've got no chance but I'm saying in my lifetime this is the biggest the gap has ever been well, it just exists in different worlds now don't it? yeah so it's, it's completely, like it's on, completely on every different. level like you say whether it's off-field personnel on-field spending power it's just two clubs living in, living in different universes now. yeah I think that's probably about right and I don't think it's better for it to be honest with you I, I don't I've, I've got a problem with state one football clubs anyway I, I don't care for it but it's where we are but if I don't know a massive amount about Sunderland's team I, 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 the manager might not be I, I don't know who's at Rangers keep me out. I like Tony Mowbray I thought when the draw was made I thought he's canny he's a good operator the lads I'd speak to at work Sunderland fans have said they're a good side lacking a bit in, uh, since um, Ross Stewart went yeah. what I know about Sunderland's team management everything if you put them in a, a Norwich kit, an Ipswich kit, a Leicester kit, a Salam kit, I think it would beat them. Yeah, exactly. In a Sunderland one. Uh, given our Sheffield Wednesday last year, still yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, lingers, uh, Cambridge the year before that. I mentioned Birmingham a couple of times, Stevenage, we were down there, uh, Broadhill Way, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Brighton, yeah, um, El Abs, got a, had a, had a live foot line twice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what do you say really do without it? The FA, the FA Cup is the one is the one thing that the takeover sort of hasn't touched. Yeah. Hasn't when, touched when, I was yeah. A, when I was a kid, the FA Cup was, I had the, the videos that came out in the late 80s and it was Newcastle, that storied FA Cup side and you've got like kind of 
Beaumont Curl the trophy in 55 with Jackie Milburn and the original Matthews final where Matthews didn't get a kick because we played Matthews. And that's, again, before my dad was born, so I mentioned the Sunderland game, I think 56, the last time we played in the FA Cup. My dad's, I can't remember, I couldn't remember, it's like 67. And he hasn't seen Newcastle play Sunderland in the Cups, hasn't seen them win the FA Cup. He saw them win the UEFA, well, the FA Cup, and now that's no longer recognised as a European competition. So it's, um, but going back, is it a game that we could do with or, no, I absolutely do without it. So I'd rather we've got Man City away. Just get a, get a 5 0 defeat and that's it, concentrate on the rest of the season. <laughs> Um, so where we, how did you hear about the draw? Where were you? I was sitting. It was WhatsApp. I was watching the draw on TV, but it was on iPlayer, so I've got that little bit of delay. And I'm, I'm feeding. I've got two young kids as well, so I'm feeding them, and I'm trying to stop them from like building the house down. And WhatsApp. I've got a few different kind of Newcastle groups that are going berserk. Surely not. Not this time. So I didn't even bother watching the draw. I turned it off. Went BBC website. Sure enough, oh, well, that's happening. That's. Just a horrible, horrible few weeks coming up. I'll be honest. I don't. I think, from like a fan's perspective, in that, um, but from my perspective, I certainly don't speak on behalf of others. But I'm seeing there's a bit of a free hit. Like I, like I've just oh, articulated yeah. there. I don't really think we should be able to shout. I actually think, from the club's perspective, like from Sunderland, given what's gone on in the last month or so, I think it's actually a bit of a nightmare draw as well. It could, yeah. it could be amazing, but. If if we're three 0 down after half an hour or something ridiculous like that, it, it could be pretty disastrous. You mean because change of manager? I think yeah. I think they, I think change of the manager. I think I think some people wanted rid of him, but I think they expected a different replacement, or they expected the club to have more of a plan than it appeared that they did have. I think what's really peed people off though is the way the club's conducted itself around the ticketing and around what they've done literally giving Newcastle the whole end that used to be the home end mm. to me that one of the good things that we had going for us in this match was home advantage and we've, we haven't given that away but we we certainly haven't added to it I mean they've done it they've done it for money purposes and I mean I'm, I'm not one of these people who thinks it's funny that we're charging Newcastle fans £600 to sit in the hospitality seats and that I, I think it's disgusting and um, I think that's annoyed a lot of people I know you don't when you buy your season ticket you don't keep your seat for cup games but there's a lot of people who feel basically like we're kind of rolling the red carpet out for our friends up the road which I, I just think is wrong and I think if we were to I think if it was a narrow defeat and we, we play well I, I think people will be okay I think if we were to get hammered I think that could be pretty disastrous for the people in charge of the club uh, lots of uh, Newcastle ticket and chat this season, Chris. Uh, to what extent, though, have, have Sunderland bosses ceded their club's home advantage with this one? There's a lot of Newcastle fans going to be there. There are, and I, I know a lot of Sunderland fans are quite irate about it. I mean, I think it's a good thing that there are so many fans able to travel. I don't necessarily like the idea of the bubble match that, that is there, but that is that is the, the context that's being given in. It seems to be a reciprocal deal, so if there, if there, God forbid, was a replay in this match, then it seems that Sunderland would have a similar number of volume of fans coming up to, to St. James's for, for the reverse fixture. But yeah, I know that Sunderland aren't happy with it. Some fans have been moved to accommodate Newcastle fans as well, which hasn't gone down yeah. particularly well. But... A mate of mine is really unhappy about the fact he's been booted out of his out of his seat and he's basically said he doesn't want a ticket for the game right that's interesting I mean I can I can, I can understand that I, mean, I don't think that they've seeded home advantage yes there'll be more Newcastle fans there but it's still it's it's Sunderland's ground there will still it will still be majority Sunderland fans and uh, Newcastle still going away from home um, and yeah, I, it, it it will be fascinating to see because they, these sides haven't met in recent memory when they've been in in 
different divisions. This is the first time that that has happened. Uh, I saw a stat earlier. I think that Lewis Miley was nine last time Newcastle and, uh, and Sunderland placed, faced one another. <laughs> so um, makes I think me feel it's a bit sick that Chris. Yeah, which it's also it's nine derbies since Newcastle actually won one. Well, it's nine without a win. That that it's ten. It was ten games ago before since since they actually won a derby. So this is it, it's huge in, in every single way that that you look at it. It's been selected for TV coverage in the UK. Understandably, the early TV slot on Saturday. There's there is. Uh, I saw Michael Beale's press conference earlier for Sunday and he was talking about there being national interest in this and I think that there is but not to that I think there's intrigue there but really this is already we're, we're midweek going into to Saturday and, and this matches everything that everyone is talking about because it is so huge yeah. for the region the area and for both club seasons really it, it could come to define what happens for the rest of the campaign and given the context of where Newcastle has I've already said I think it is just it's, it is absolutely massive for Newcastle it's a game that they have to win uh, yes, speaking of the match itself, uh, Chris, thanks for that. Uh, let's have another little listen to the, the round table, the lads, from the discussion. They've kind of freed at the kind of trust and like support that they've had about this ticketing thing. It does seem to have really irked people. So I think if we play quite well, and obviously if we win, fantastic. If it's a narrow defeat or something like that, I think that'd be all right. I think if they were to get heavily beaten, I don't know, you can kind of see the wheels coming off a bit. The, the caveat to that is we have a very young team and they seem to kind of oscillate between great and bad on a weekly basis. And so they, they tend not to take results from the previous week into the current week. So. One yesterday, uh, didn't they? One yesterday? Exactly. They Try to take that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think really in the, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's going to be a, a match that really massively impacts but I'm saying that what are we on Tuesday got four days from you <laughs> do you agree on that Phil? I do uh, broadly agree on most of that um, I do think someone will lose it'll be a lot closer than if you, just, if you played this game three months ago you know I think we'd get absolutely <laughs> good, I think the way that certainly Newcastle's sort of demise in the last six weeks has, has made it more of an attractive game for someone but it, it's really hard for the first time in my lifetime to come to meeting not in the same division, yeah. so it becomes very hard to predict uh, a win for the underdog. And I think I, I, I don't think it carries a huge significance in the season. Maybe if they were to lose five, six, seven yeah. nil or something, then if you verge into the uh, embarrassing and the humiliation, then I think then it starts leaving a mark, doesn't it, on managers, relationship supporters. I don't see that happening, to be honest. I think I think it'll be a narrow away win and. We can get back to living in different worlds again. <laughs> Happily. I wish it was already Sunday. But it was Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I was cooking, the game had happened, the boss yeah. putting the boys to bed, yeah, I am. Um, a narrow Newcastle win I would take all day long. I would yeah. take a scruffy 1-0. I've got a feeling it might be a draw. Can't take Newcastle run away with it. Again, like you say, I thought the funny thing about how quickly things turn around, I saw a stat before it might be before Everton, so the start of last month, where from the start of the Champions League up until that point, Newcastle were the best team in the Premier League on form, had most points on top, and all of a sudden now, four weeks, five weeks later, they're in the doldrums, and there's pools, Eddie House, 50 50, is it going to stay or go? Then, hey, shite, hey, shite, hey, shite. And it's so quick, we've kind of totally lost what Bob. And like I said earlier, if it had been uh, Michael Beale managing Rotherham, Coventry, Preston, the main three teams that appeared recently, I'd be pretty confident. 
but because it's got the red and white shirt, the Sunderland badge, stadium light for all, it's going to be about the third full of Newcastle fans are quarter full. I don't feel particularly confident. Maybe it's, it is that thing that we feel as though we've got more to lose. It's a, it's a free shot, I think you said earlier on. If Sunderland get beat, it's plucky Sunderland overturned by Saudi oil run, whatever. Whereas if Newcastle win, it's a, or Sunderland win, it's, a, it's massive. The people's club against or what's perceived to be, certainly my perception, um, against that. But the behemoth, whatever it is, Newcastle are now. For a footballing context, I'm concerned with how tired we are. And the mistakes that are being made, I think, are born out of that tiredness. That Liverpool pass through our midfield, and it's Liverpool. They're going to pass through better midfields now. But time and time again, Anthony Gordon looks knackered. Yeah. Miggy's decision making is just totally gone. Again, the Southern fans I know, I talked to at work at home, said that not great in attack, I've got much as a focal point up front as much. But even then, I kind of see that and I think, oh well, six weeks ago we had the best defence in the world. Now all of a sudden, it looked last night as if Cher and Botman have met for the first time. I'm dreading it. I'll, 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 I'll take a draw. I'll take a, if I'm not the one to take a draw, so I'm going to do it all again. <laughs> if it had been literally any one of the 19 other clubs in the Football League, Premier League, we'll, we'll take a 2 1 defeat, we'll concentrate the league, we'll get more time between games. I can't do that against something. So I think it'll be a draw. Obviously, the heart isn't saying that, but just don't get beat. Uh, Stephen Best there summing up our nervous energy, Chris, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, it seems to be every single Newcastle fan I've spoken to has similar frustrations going into this one. I think that that that, that just the fact that it's the game, as I've already said, that they didn't really want and that the rivalry and, and the sense that if they lose on, on this in this scale, that it will be be an embarrassment, really, given, given the, the distance between the two clubs. So I, I think that until the match is over... I don't think Newcastle fans will be able, and Sunderland fans as well. They they will not be able to to think about much else up until that point. And during it, it's it's a it's one thing. I know you spoke about before Taylor where it's, you hate every single second of it. And I know so many other fans who do as well. And maybe if they're watching from home, they might be hiding behind the sofa if at the game. They might have the hands in front of their eyes at certain points or or making sure they go to half. Oh, that's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. I would like to go to sleep on Friday night and wake up on yeah, Sunday but morning. It, I mean, you. Somebody tell me there was But results. you're sort of... I mean, that gives the game away. That's why it's. That's why they're good. That's why we need to have these games. If they mean that much, we need to have them. And I know they're terrible. I know they're terrible games. It usually. makes me feel sick, I know, George. That's I, don't, I don't need much, that. Do you know what I mean? You... Football can be shit enough on its own without <laughs> this sort of nonsense. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Well, I'd, so I'd, not, I'd, I, hope, I, I hope that, you know... I'd, you want the atmosphere to be absolutely raw and blinding and brilliant and noisy and loud and you want to kind of feel all those things. I just I also want people to be safe and find some way of enjoying it and, you know, have the have the rivalry but not have not have hate and I think all those things are kind of important. But these are the day you know, these are the days you remember. I mean I I don't remember very much, but I do remember the the rude hullet. Alan Shearer Derby I do you know you these are the games that stick in the memory often for bad reasons I as I said before I would like these games to mean something sort of positive you know I don't feel like that's around the corner anytime soon with Sunderland where they are but that for me is um, I mean it's I think it's because this game is Celtic versus Rangers but shit I mean I think you know Celtic Rangers challenge at the top in Scotland and so it there's something more at stake than just being bad the thing that always annoyed me about the derby our derby was that 
it had so much importance. Like Sunderland, Chris Weatherspoon said this when we chatted. He said, you know, New uh, Sunderland were just going for four or five seasons in a row where they'd won six games and two of those games would be against Newcastle and they stayed up yeah. and it gave them an excuse to be shit and to go through that whole cycle of of like changing managers and staying up again by the skin of their teeth. And it sort of had too much importance in that sense. But I mean, it was two bold men fighting over a call. Well, that's exactly time, it. Wasn't it. That's yeah. exactly it. And I mean, can you actually, I mean, I, the idea of, Newcastle and Sunderland being at Wembley for a FA Cup final and Trafalgar Square doesn't actually bear thinking about. You can't sort of get your head around the sort of level of carnage. But the idea of actually that fixture being something positive, I think that's pretty beguiling to me. Right then, well, we shall see, won't we? And that's about it, isn't it, chaps? Uh, good luck to the lasses as well, by the way. We haven't mentioned them. Uh, after a remarkable unbeaten 2023, they start the new year at home against Halifax on Sunday. So get yourself down to Kingston Park for a less anxiety-inducing version of Newcastle United football. Uh, get in touch as well at Pod on the Tyne on Twitter or X uh, and email us at podonthetyne at theathletic.com. That's just about it. Thanks a lot, George. You're very welcome. See you on the other side. Absolutely. And see you on the other side as well, Chris Woff. Yes, very much so. Uh, I mean, I think George and I will be travelling in convoy. We're not actually getting on the buses that Newcastle United fans have to turn up at St James's Park and get at 9am, but I will be trying to get George there at a very sprightly hour, if possible. How do you get in then? Do they, do they fire you over the top of the stand in a, out of a cannon or something? Is that is that how they do that? Bubble journalists? How does that work? <laughs> I don't know if we're I don't know if we're segregated as well. I don't know if Newcastle and Sunderland reporters are segregated or not. We'll find out. <laughs> not allowed to sit next to each other in case it all kicks off. Start chucking your prawn sandwiches at each other. Segregation from Chris, that's the dream, isn't it, really? How can we do that? We shall indeed see you on the other side. Have a good week. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy the derby. Those of you who do and those of you who don't, well, we know how that feels. So uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks a lot from everybody at Pod on the Time. Take care. Goodbye. Richardson takes it all. A goal from the heavens for Kieran Richardson.
That'll be your yeah, phone, is it, Chris? It is my phone, yeah. Is that your house phone? Chris. My house phone, yeah. I'll try is that to Eddie Howe calling to, to say something horrible to you? <laughs> oh, it's been answered. Um, what a shocking start. The Athletic.